That's big time. Five, 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are still up in the bird's nest here in Oreo Park at Camden Yards. That was our first goof for the night. She just took my line. That's crazy. That's you crazy. were going to use it? I literally just said well, that. I got to talk first. That's nuts. That's a goof on Everybody you. should know that I said that during the countdown. He said nothing and then came out with well, my that's a, line. That's a goof on you. Are you are a thief. We are at goof number two. Oh, well, my we promised goodness. laughs and goofs, so now we're getting into a totally different definition of goofs. You've been goofed. I'm Brennan Mortensen. I have. He is Matt Bonaparte. She is Annie Claff. Your real selected Enrique Bradfield Jr. <laughs> That's the 17th true. overall pick. We broke it down for about four minutes until we had technical difficulties. I look, at least those difficulties did not come during our live show, which hopefully you tuned into as we broke down the Orioles selection. But we'll do a, a little recap of what we were talking about before. The Orioles select Enrique Bradfield Jr., the outfielder from Vanderbilt, Probably the fastest player in this draft class had an 80-grade run tool, according to MLB Pipeline. Speedy center fielder, not going to hit for a ton of power. Has, I think, 15 home runs in his college career, so he may not be a 30-home run guy at the big league level, but he's going to give you great speed on the base pass, going to give you great speed and defense in center field. Really high floor player here for the Orioles, a proven SEC talent with some high upside as well, because if you can get the most out of his bat, which is still very good, the OPS sat around 850 in his junior year, even that took a little dip from an OPS over 900 in his sophomore season, so if you can get the most out of his bat, maybe they see some more there as well, then this is a really high upside player because the other tools are just that good. Well, he also was projected way higher yeah. than 17 at the beginning uh, of the season, and then he had maybe not his best season ever at Vanderbilt, and his stock went down a little bit. So I think the Orioles saw an opportunity, and they took it to take Enrique Bradfield a little bit later than I think anybody a year ago would have expected him to go. Uh, so look at it that way, a huge steal potentially for the Orioles in Enrique Bradfield Jr. at number 17 in this draft. It's interesting when you look at that difference between how he was as a junior at Vanderbilt versus a freshman because he won SEC Freshman of the Year in 2021, which is a huge accolade, especially in a strong conference like that. Yeah, and with Bradfield, he's the type of player, too, that I think could be a pretty quick riser throughout the system because, as we've mentioned, the tools already kind of jump off the page. The biggest thing for Bradfield is going to be how the bat translates at the next level. We know that single-A Aberdeen, where he will be you know, maybe towards the, the very end of this season, we saw Dylan Beavers, Judd Fabian, Max Wagner, the college guys that the Orioles selected last year, start in the FCL, get you know probably a week or two worth of games there. Then they head up to Aberdeen. Aberdeen is a really hard place to hit. It is very much a pitcher's park. I think that's going to be the biggest test for Bradfield right out of the gate because we know the speed is going to translate. We know the fielding is going to translate. How does the bat translate? What changes are the Orioles going to make, if if many, to the bat to get as much power as they possibly can? He's probably a gap-to-gap -gap 
power guy. He's going to be a doubles power guy, but maybe there's something in the tank there. I mean, we were talking with Michael Elias at the end of the draft show who seemed to believe that they could get some more power out of Bradfield than we saw at Vanderbilt. So maybe more upside with the bat than you know we are initially thinking here just reading scouting reports. Yeah, well, the question here is... Did they draft him because they think that they can do something with his swing that maybe he's not doing right now? Can they go in there and try and fix something, uh, an issue they see, and turn him from a good hitter into a great one, turning him into a, a solid major league center fielder that can start every day? Because like you said, Brendan, the big question mark right now is the swing. It is the bat because we know he's got the fielding aspect. We know he's got that great run. Uh, we got to see if he can hit. I think that whatever the tweaks are that the Orioles have in their vision right now is just no matter what it is, I think that Elias and Selick put a lot of emphasis and confidence in their player development process and program yep. so that regardless of the player, college or high school, I think that they believe that they can make those tweaks and build them up into a strong Orioles player. Yeah, and that's what we've heard so much leading up to this draft is it's not just traditional scouting. It's not just the analytics led by Sigma Dell, which has been such a big part of the draft process. The player development staff is also very heavily involved with the draft process, which makes sense when you think about it. Not only are you trying to draft the best player available, but part of that calculation needs to be, okay, we know the strength of our player development staff. What player are we going to be able to draft where our player development staff is going to maximize their potential more so than maybe somebody else in this draft they believed could have had a higher upside if they were in a different player development staff. But they know the strengths of this team. They know how they've been able to develop players down in the minor league system. And it's crucial that those three things, the traditional scouting, the analytics, and the player development staff are working in tandem to be able to select the best player, not only based on their talent and the kind of player that they could be in the future, but the kind of player that they would be able to develop in the minor league system. It was an interesting selection because Hurston Waldrop was on the board. And leading up to the draft, there were so many questions about pitching. There were so many questions that we were asking about what goes in to this selection. Is it a group decision? Do you guys uh, just try? And Sigma Dell told us they try to make as many people not unhappy as possible, which yeah, was... You're never going to have a consensus. Yeah. You're just trying not to make people angry. Exactly. Um, so it was it was an interesting spot because we kind of got a good look into where they put Hurston Waldrip on that board. Clearly, it was under Enrique Bradfield Jr., but does that mean they were really high in Enrique and probably higher than a lot of other teams? Because we heard that about certain players, not specific ones, but that there were players that they're higher on than others from Brad Selick. Or does it just mean that Hurston Waldrop wasn't as high on their board as everybody else's? It's also really interesting because in past drafts, the front office has said, like, oh, we're basically just, we basically just picked whatever the best player was at that time. Best for player our available. Pick. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, that was easier because they had the luxury of being the top five picks in the last four years. Right. But now, at pick 17, there were still plenty of really strong players, regardless of position, regardless of grades, whatnot. So it's, it is really interesting that they went with Enrique Bradfield Jr. over a pitcher that was still a really strong option because there were a few still left. Yeah, let's talk about the rest of the draft leading up to the Orioles pick at number 17. As an Orioles fan, this draft in terms of what you were looking for 
what impacted Baltimore probably started right around pick 10. I think the top nine picks were pretty chalky, finishing up with Chase Dolander going to the Colorado Rockies. Probably Blake Mitchell going to the Royals at eight was the only player that the Orioles could have been looking at at number 17. That was somebody that we had talked about leading up to the draft. And then at number 10, Noble Meyer goes off the board to the Marlins. Noble Meyer is somebody in my conversation with Joe Doyle, draft analyst for Future Stars series. He said, if Noble Meyer is on the board for the Orioles at number 17, he's got a ton of upside. The Orioles could be looking at him as a potential selection. He goes off the board there. And then we really start to see the players that we were heavily considering as possibilities for the O's at 17. Nolan Shawnwell goes at number 11 to the Angels. Tommy Troy at number 12, the shortstop from Stanford. Matt Shaw, the Maryland product, goes to the Cubs at 13. Kyle Teal slipped a little bit. He goes to the Red Sox at number 14. Jacob Gonzalez slipped a little bit as well. He goes to the White Sox at number 15. And then right before the Orioles pick was the guy that we have talked about the most on this show, Matt, Bryce Eldridge. Goes That's number my guy, 16 dude. to the San Francisco Giants. I don't. I didn't see the draft board. I don't know if the Orioles had Enrique Bradfield I would love Jr. To know. ranked higher than Bryce Eldridge. I think it's entirely possible because the Orioles like their college bats, as we know. Bradfield is an established college bat from an SEC powerhouse school in Vanderbilt. It is entirely possible that if Bryce Eldridge and Enrique Bradfield Jr. are on the board at number 17... They still take Bradfield Jr., but Bryce Eldridge was a distinct possibility for the O's, and he goes the pick before. They're probably glad that they didn't have to make that decision and that it was made for them, but I would have been really surprised if that were the case. I mean, maybe it's just because I was so high on uh, Bryce Eldridge, but... We were really high on Bryce Eldridge, I I will say. Because he's so cool, man. He's a two-way player. Bryce Eldridge goes at 16, and... We were talking about it on our Mass and All Access live draft show, and you were saying he has prodigious power. He has the arm of a god. I was yeah. like, wow, how did this guy not go number one the way you're talking about him? <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. He's so cool. And I wanted him to be an Oriole really, really badly. And maybe he wouldn't have been anyway. Maybe they did have Bradfield over him. Like, again, I can totally, I'm almost talking myself into it that they had Bradfield like ranked 10th or something, and every other team had him like 20th. Well, a lot of mock drafts had Enrique Bradfield Jr. going top 10. Yeah. So it's not like the Orioles reached on... This is a SEC well-established outfielder who has been excellent for three college seasons. That's really hard to find, and that's a really talented player to get at number 17. And that also goes to show that because he was predicted to go away, or to be picked in the top 10, that there was really a heavy importance on his speed and defense versus maybe a lack in hitting skills. Um, just really goes to show that his hit, that his speed was way more of a priority. Yeah, and to that point, Bryce Eldridge, if you're going to look at the things that Bradfield gives you, it's you know a lot of speed and excellent defense at a position of immense value in center field. There is no question that Enrique Bradfield Jr. is going to be a center fielder at the next level. He has the speed, he has the arm talent, everything. Bryce Eldridge, as exciting of a player as he is, as a potential two-way player, he played first base in high school. And part of that was 
probably because the team was trying to preserve his arm. He was also a pitcher. They didn't want him in the outfield making long throws. You didn't really know if he was going to be a corner outfielder, but even if he is a corner outfielder, that's not a position of a lot of value. Enrique Bradfield Jr. is up the middle. He's going to play center, and he's going to play it well. That alone gives you more value than Bryce Eldridge would have given you if he was a first-base corner outfield hybrid. Yeah, that's a great point, um, and one that I probably didn't see in my uh, love for Bryce Eldridge. You I mean, this guy, by your I really was. I, I wanted to see that guy as an Oriole, but you're, you're definitely right about that. I mean, with the, the position that the Orioles are in right now with so much talent in that farm system – it only makes sense to pick the guys who are in the positions of immense need, um, or not need, but power. You know, those are the those are the positions that are incredibly important for every single team. And if you're going to be a successful club, you're going to have to have a few positions down, and one of those is certainly center field. And if they went for immense need, one or many would argue that they probably should have picked a pitcher. Sure, let's talk about that. All right, many Orioles fans were hoping that. The number 17 pick here would be a pitcher. And a lot of the names that we threw out were off the board. Chase Dolander went top 10. Noble Meyer went top 10. Obviously, you know, Paul Skeens was not going to be there. He was not going to be a possibility. But the one name that was consistently brought up in this pre-draft process as a possibility for the Orioles at number 17 was Hurston Waldrop. Hurston Waldrop was on the board, and the Orioles elect to go with Bradfield instead of Waldrop. And to me, that just indicates that the Orioles know that they can develop the heck out of a position player. They have proved it time and time again with selections in the first, second, third, fourth round. I mean, Joey Ortiz is a top 65 prospect in baseball right now, and he was a fourth-round pick in 2019. The Orioles can develop position players and you know that Enrique Bradfield I mean you don't know it but Enrique Bradfield Jr. is probably going to be a top 100 prospect at some point because he's in this player development system and the Orioles just know how to develop hitters we haven't seen it as much with pitchers because they haven't drafted a pitcher in the first four rounds I don't believe outside of Nolan McLean that they drafted last year and weren't able to sign I think the highest pitcher that they've drafted, or at least one of the highest pitchers, Trace Bright, was a fifth-round pick last year. They haven't. They selected Carlos Tavera. I think he was a fifth-round pick. Not many pitchers have been drafted that high. The Orioles know they can develop position players, and yeah, maybe the system on the surface needed some pitchers, but you have some high upside guys, and maybe the talent with Waldrop just wasn't exactly what they were looking for. It's as if they're kind of saying, like, we know what's been good for us in the past, so why change what's right. good? And they've even admitted it. Brad Selick said in an interview in a pregame recently, like, oh, we know that college hitters are our bread and butter. So it's like they, they've admitted it. They know it's working well. Um, just weren't really going to give away anything ahead of the draft if they were going to pick a pitcher or not, which right. really wasn't on the top of my, their minds. Sure. At the same time, Elias did say uh, – they know that they have to have a good starting rotation to win a World Series. Right. And obviously he knows that, and obviously everybody knows that, but they don't have one. They don't have a great starting rotation right now. They have a solid one, but 
they need to build towards the future. I don't know necessarily how they're going to do it, but they probably have a plan in place that we don't see. Maybe it's just not through the draft. Yeah, it's entirely possible that it's at the trade deadline. Yes. We saw last year at the deadline, the Orioles moved Trey Mancini. They moved Jorge Lopez. In those returns, they got all-star Yenier Cano, who was a pitcher in not in their system. Turns out to be a fantastic bullpen arm. And they also got Cade Povich and Chase McDermott, who have shown a ton of flashes so far in double-A Bowie. And even if the Orioles didn't draft those guys, maybe they feel more comfortable being able to get some guys at a little bit of a higher level, develop them in double-A, triple-A, get them up to the majors, look no further than Kyle Bradish, who is one of the Orioles' better starting pitching. I mean, you can't really call him a prospect at this point, but he's still a young starting pitcher here for the Orioles. He was acquired via trade from the Los Angeles Angels. The Orioles didn't draft Bradish, but they felt confident enough with dealing from inside the organization to go out and get a pitcher and... Maybe that's just the Orioles' strategy here. I mean, their strategy right now has been working. Absolutely. They've had the number one farm system consistently. As you mentioned, Danny, if like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like They can draft position players. They can develop position players. Maybe it's they just don't feel as confident developing a pitcher that they draft in the first round. There's a ton of risk with pitchers that are drafted in the first round. I mean, look at last year. And the year, I mean, Jack Leiter was the number two overall pick and has really, really struggled in Texas. Look at past drafts with guys like Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock. Pitchers in the Plenty first round, Plenty Kumar Rocker. I mean, there are so many examples of pitchers that are drafted in the first round that struggle out of the gate. There's not an example of an Orioles position player over the last four years that they have drafted that has struggled in any way, shape, or form. And to be clear... I think that they should absolutely be trusted in whatever they do in the draft because yeah. of because of that success. I mean, they haven't made had a misstep. Seriously, they haven't. I mean, it, it is so easy to step on a mine in the MLB draft, and they have not done it one time. Mike Elias and Co. have been so so good at what they do come draft time that they have earned the respect and the trust of every Orioles fan just because of pure success. So I'm not saying that they made a mistake not taking a pitcher, but I am saying I'd like to see the plan. I will say that another player I was kind of. A little bit hoping that the Orioles would pick was Arjun Namala. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Namala, a ton of upside. We have talked about him on this show as well. One of the youngest players in this draft is just 17 years old at the time he's drafted by a division rival in the Toronto Blue Jays with the 20th overall pick. Namala was a cricket player for a while, didn't really start focusing a cricketer. A cricketer. <laughs> didn't really start focusing on baseball until his freshman year of high school. Didn't play in a ton of prep circuits because of that reason. And I think that probably gave scouts a little bit of hesitation in terms of, you know, being able to get all of the information needed on Namala to make that draft pick. But he had a ton of upside. It was just whether or not everything was polished enough to be able to go into professional baseball smoothly. Yeah, and likely difficult to... Get enough on that guy. Like you said, wasn't in those prep circuits. Hard to get enough information on that guy to leapfrog people like Enrique Bradfield, yep. who's had three years in an SEC powerhouse conference. So I can, 
yeah, it's very difficult to overcome uh, those kinds of odds if you're Arjun Namala, but hey, still a first-round pick for him, so good for him. Uh, but like you said, Annie, I would have liked to see him too. I mean, an interesting player for sure, but also there's plenty of infield in that uh, in that farm system, oh, so yeah. I don't I don't mind seeing an outfielder. Well, there's there's plenty of infield, there's plenty of outfield, there's there's plenty there's of plenty of everything, players and we've said that so general. many times. Yeah, and. I mean, we'll see. I mean, we could be having a completely different conversation about the Orioles farm system in two weeks at the trade deadline. Not That's even crazy that it's only two weeks away. Two weeks, it's three weeks. Up on I don't me, know man. how long it is. <laughs> I haven't slept in a week trying to do draft prep. But if the Orioles go to the trade deadline, you know, we don't know what kind of moves they can make. But as of right now, the Orioles are firmly playoff contenders. So if we get to the tr- trade deadline and they end up trading from this... I mean, embarrassment of riches of position player prospects that they have. If they end up trading some of those guys and get a front-of-the-line rotation starting pitcher, I mean, we're going to be talking about, yeah, it's it's a good thing that they drafted another position player in the first round. We'll see what they end up doing in the second round. But if they end up trading these position player prospects that they have for well-established major league arms... If then it's that's all worth better it. than drafting it's all a worth it. Absolutely. Right. I totally agree with you 100%. Um, but it's about going out and doing that, and I'm so curious to see what ends up happening at the trade deadline. So uh, we'll see. That obviously is on every fan's mind is, okay, who are you going to flip for a Dylan Cease or a Lucas Giolito or whoever's on the market? Uh, but, you know, it's up to Mike Elias and those same guys to, uh, to figure it out. Well, in terms of the top 30 prospects for the Orioles, I'm guessing that Bradfield might come in around 10th, which is kind of hilarious. That's absurd. Because the Orioles' farm system and top prospects are so good that I'm looking at the Orioles' top 30 list right now. You've got Jackson Holiday, Colton Kowser, Jordan Westbrook, Heston Kerstad, Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Kobe Mayo, Samuel Basayo, all as top 100 prospects. Being that Bradfield is the number 17 pick, usually we see about, what, seven, eight guys from a draft class enter the top 100? Something like that. So Samuel Basayo might be bumped out, but we know that even if he is bumped out, he's right there in the top 100. D.L. Hall, not currently in the top 100. We know, you know, he's been struggling with injuries. He's had the deloading phase. I can't imagine that Bradfield is over D.L. Hall, which would leave him at 10th just above Dylan Beavers. And I can't believe that the 17th overall pick, who was a three-year excellent starter at one of the best college baseball programs in the country, would be the Orioles' 10th-ranked prospect. That's absurd. Only team where that happens, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, it it just, that would not happen anywhere else. This farm system is just elite. It's unbeatable. It's been number one since midway through 2021. I mean, Michael Elias and the rest of the front office have built something so special in this front in this farm system um, that I mean, this is just evidence and, and you know proof in the proof in the pudding uh, that Enrique Bradfield is that that this that farm system is unreal. Yeah, and it's just gone to show like just the previous years in the Elias era, everything how much an importance his rebuilding strategies and rebuilding tactics for the Orioles have gone and how they've succeeded into what they are now, especially on the farm. Yeah, and this perfectly fits the blueprint. You look at the Orioles' first-round picks 
from now back to 2019, you have Abby Rutschman, college switch hitter. Heston Kerstad, college left-handed hitter in 2020. In 2021, Colton Kowser, college left hitter. In 2022, prep left-handed hitter, Jackson Holiday, And now in 2023, college left-handed hitter, Enrique Bradfield. I bet you they'd tell you that's all happenstance. It's not. <laughs> We're catching on to you. It is not happenstance. That is a that is a formula if I have ever seen one. I mean, yeah. Go get good lefty bats. I uh, yes. I mean, they don't want to have to hit out to that left field wall. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if they switch that up in the next coming years because of maybe. You think they're going to move it back in? No, I don't know. But like in terms of, <laughs> they're going to move it way closer than it ever was before. <laughs> they can move it twenty feet the other way. The other way. But in terms of like predictability and everything, in terms yeah. of a draft. Because the Orioles, I mean, as much as we talked about, will they select a pitcher? Could they go? With a prep guy, this, this, this. Yeah, of course they went with a left-handed hitting college outfielder who was excellent at an SEC school for three years. It's your catchphrase, excellent. You say that 45, like I, one yeah. every 45 words is excellent That's out of your mouth. from you. <laughs> yeah, like as much as we wanted to talk about the Orioles draft strategy and could they change things up, no, they went right back to the blueprint and they took a well-established Because why wouldn't bat. they? Because it's worked every exactly. single time. Why wouldn't they go? Why wouldn't they yeah. stick with the blueprint? Yeah. Um, that's what's built this farm system that I'm raving about. Yeah. Uh, so I'm okay with it. And just okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, with yeah it. just okay with the the number one farm system. In it baseball. works for me. Later on in the draft, you know, there were a few other possibilities that we were looking at and had seen in mock drafts, heard as distinct possibilities. Chase Davis goes 21st overall to the St. Louis Cardinals. Colt Emerson goes 22nd to the Mariners. Outside of those guys, I mean, Waldrop goes 24th to the Braves, as we mentioned. Dylan Head, 25th. Aiden Miller, 27th. can't believe 27th. you just skipped over Ralphie Velasquez like Ralphie that. Velasquez uh, was not one of the guys that we had <laughs> talked about <laughs> of the Orioles draft. He's got an awesome name, though. How about Colin Houck? Yeah. 12th-ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, goes all the way down to 32 to the New York Mets. A couple of prep arms in Charlie Soto, Thomas White. But I think all of the guys that we had talked about pretty much went in the 13 to 22 range. Pretty chalky draft. Pretty chalky draft. Yeah. But it worked out well for the Orioles. It did. Enrique Bradfield Jr., who maybe slipped down the board a little bit to the O's at number 17. The one not incredibly chalky pick. Yeah. Mm. So leave it to the O's. But it's still kind of chalk for the O's. Left-handed hitting college bat. Happenstance. Ah, it happens. And it's, again, the Orioles are just so good at developing position players that it's hard to even, not that we're sitting here questioning the pick in any way, but it's hard to sit here and even question what Bradfield might be at the next level once he gets to Aberdeen, once he moves up to Bowie in terms of the bat, because we just haven't seen anything from this front office, from this player development staff, that would tell you it's going to be anything other than excellent. Yeah, I mean, there it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I go back to it, it is just, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, and 
especially upcoming at the deadline. What are they going to do with this farm system? They have so much ammunition, more than any other team in the majors. Um, it's going to be, it's just, I'm excited to see what happens. As I said before the draft, and I believe on our first uh, draft preview episode, Mike was in his bag in this one. In All right, he, he had the 17th pick. He didn't have the first, the, the second, or the fifth. He had an opportunity to show it, and he did. I mean, he got one of the better players in the draft probably at 17. Um, so I'm excited to see how Enrique turns out. I'm excited to see what they end up doing at the deadline. I'm curious to see how what Enrique's turnaround and progression time is on the farm because he's got big shoes to fill coming after Jackson Holiday, True. who is, of course, now the number one prospect. Yeah, Jackson Holiday, a quick mover throughout the Orioles minor league system, just at 19 years old. He has been unbelievable. We're not expecting Jackson Holiday type of numbers <laughs> out of Enrique Bradfield Jr., but who knows? Again, so the Orioles he heard that. He's 17. putting that on his wall as some bulletin board material. I hope so. <laughs> I hope he does. The Orioles select Enrique Bradfield Jr. at number 17 overall. We've been breaking it down here on Mass and All Access. If you've hung out with us today, Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks. We had a fun time on our live draft show. Had a fun time hanging out here on the Bird's Nest. We hope we provided enough laughs and goofs because we did promise those laughs and goofs. We did. I told you they'd be here, and I hope they were. Well, the Orioles have some more selections tonight. We'll see who they select with their second-round pick. But in Enrique Bradfield Jr., they get an excellent prospect, one of the better ones in this draft, well-established SEC guy. We're excited to see where Enrique goes in this Orioles minor league system. But that'll just about do it here for us on the Bird's Nest. We need to get some sleep. We've been here all day. That's a fact. That is a (laughs) fact. That is true. Franny Claff and Matt Bonaparte, I am Brendan Mortensen. We're not going to be back this week. We're taking an all-star break. You guys take an all-star break, too. We'll be back after that. We look forward to seeing you then. We'll catch you next time.